Well, it still says software. I'll just go. All right, welcome to another ep- episode of the Retro Spectacle Podcast here on the Drink5.com network. Um, I am joined, as always, with Dave. Hi, Dave. And pardon me. <laughs> we are uh, enjoying a few beverages. We're going to actually talk about the NFL tonight, a topic that um, we haven't talked about since, oh, December. December. Yeah. So uh, we will talk about the NFL and not fantasy football. Um, but before we get into that, Dave, there's always a very important question. What are you drinking this evening? Well, Jason, I have a Spotted Cow uh, from New Glarus Brewing Company. Uh, pretty pretty great brewing company up north from where we are in Wisconsin. And um, I am a big fan. It's just a regular kind of beer. I think it's their most regular of regulars. Uh, they have all sorts of different kinds of beers. And my favorite has been... Traditionally, Moon Man, uh, which is I think an IPA that they that they carry up there. But, IPA or Pale Ale. But I don't have any problem with a with a good spotted cow, uh, and I also love Fat Squirrel, which seems like it's back in production, which is kind of a brown uh, brown ale, and that's also delicious. And I am going to enjoy it along with a little bit of nice Scotch uh, that we have here in the house. Yeah. And it looks like you're drinking a delicious IPA. I definitely am. I've got this Stone Delicious IPA. Uh, it's called Delicious IPA. Quite literally. Uh, so it's an India Pale Ale with lemon drop and Eldorado hops, 7.7% alcohol by volume. Um, and so it was fermented in a way, and they don't explain this, I'm sure it's a trade secret, but in a way to reduce the amount of gluten that comes out of it. Uh, so it's, I guess, a low-gluten beer, um, but I don't really care because the first thing that they were worried about is making sure that it was a delicious hoppy beer. And that's exactly what it is. So I'm happy with it being delicious. Hell yeah. All right. So um, as I mentioned just a moment ago, we are going to talk about uh, the NFL tonight. Now, for our drinking game tonight, my proposal is that we, um, when I'm done with this intro, uh, drink whenever we say the word fantasy. Because we are talking about football, about the NFL, not about fantasy football tonight. So that will be our punishment for mentioning the dirty F word. Uh, we will have to drink. Okay. Sound good? Got it. Okay. So, Dave, uh, this weekend was the NFL scout- Scouting Combine down in Indianapolis, where it is every year. Um, so the Combine is basically, you know, all of the position players getting together, running a bunch of drills, getting all of their measurables measured, so to speak, um, and basically doing light football drills, while wearing shorts. And anyone who pays attention to the offseason, uh, like training camps and stuff like that for the NFL teams, know that everyone looks great in shorts. Nobody's bad ever. Um, you know, everybody's team has great potential and stuff. Uh, so what do you think, if anything, the Combine can actually tell us about players? Um, you know, is it the same effectiveness as like a training camp? Is it a little bit worse than that even? Because they're not even on a team. They're not learning football things. So it's pretty much like you said. Everyone, everyone just goes and basically 
they're just walking around and showing off their uh, physiques and athleticism, uh, which is rampant, of course, in this class. It just comes from college. And athleticism is rampant. That's well, excellent. in that group of people. <laughs> well, yeah, totally. I mean, they're all NFL crazy football players. So you run into a problem where if you're a scout, for example, you know, you come here and you don't really expect, uh, or maybe you do expect to be uh, sort of just wowed by how good everyone is. Um, but that's it. It's it's not something where you're going to make a decision here at the Combine. And I think everybody comes here for a different reason. It's it's almost like a like an NFL um, uh, expo, you know, like a conference because everybody is there in Indianapolis. You've got the owners and the GMs and the coaches and the scouts and the players. So it's almost more like, uh, you know, going out to dinner and sort of, uh, talking to each other in these private meetings and things I think are created here. Like, uh, seeds are planted. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, I think that for the most part, players can just improve a little bit. Um, but it's not, you know, it's not nearly as important as looking at what a guy can do in college. You know, somebody who puts, you know, two seasons full of tape down is going to, you know, tell you so much more than just running around and jumping as high as they can and running the forty and you know, saying that oh he had a three four four instead of a three four five, so clearly he's a better guy. Like you don't know that because nobody's chasing him. Well, there's no pressure in the situation um, because they're, they're used to doing this sort of thing. And it's not like if they, if they don't do well at the NFL Combine, they won't be picked up by a team. Um, so it's definitely a, a, a no-pressure situation, which makes everybody seem to perform better. But you do get to see sort of how people interact with each other. For example, in this particular year's draft, you have these two new quarterbacks, uh, Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota, right? Right. Uh, and what's interesting about them is that, and I don't want to talk about specifically about the players, but, but more along the lines of um, any position player, you're going to be able to see their personality on the field. So Jameis Winston, for example, um, is like high-fiving people, and he runs around, and everybody's around him, and he wants to talk a lot. Mariota is the opposite kind of personality. It's more quiet and reserved. Yeah, okay. So uh, you get to see that, at least. You get to see how they interact with people, which is important. But you're right, the numbers, the this, the this regular numbers from the 40-yard dash and the broad jump, uh, they don't mean that much. Now, there are people that excel completely and, and definitely stand out from the group, and that's important. Um, like, you remember Chris Johnson came and did this, and, and he still has the record for the fastest 40. Yeah, uh, and, it, you know, that certainly, I, he was going to be drafted high anyways, but it doesn't hurt. I think I, the the, uh, the combine, like as long as you can complete everything with, that they're asking you to do, and it's pretty easy for those guys, mm-hmm. um, then there's almost nothing to lose. So, yep. so, so if you're talking about whether or not it's uh, it's a useful thing for the NFL to have, if they should try to get rid of it, etc. Well, I I do feel like it's useful, but not for the reasons that people might think. Um, I think it's more like a get together for everybody before the start of the season. Right. I, it's probably handy for the scouts to be able to go look at everybody in one place rather than travel around the country. And I get that. Um, and now it's, you know, four days of programming on the NFL network. So, of course, they're not going to get rid of it. Yeah, it's going to make them money. It's going to make people interested. And then, as you said, the, the film of their performances in college is obviously more important because that's game situations. Uh, and that's what you're really looking for as a scout trying to pick a player to be put on your team. So these guys are not going to be jumping around the ranks too much based on their combine performance, uh, but it is helpful information 
uh, just in general, I suppose. And you know we're going to talk about the measurables because we always do. Yeah. Uh, you compare some guy to Calvin Johnson, for example, like they are comparing, I think his name is Dorian Green Beckham this year, because mm-hmm. of his size and his speed and the size of his hands. And so it is cool and important to have that information, but I don't think that the real scouts that are very good value that um, incredibly especially not as much as what they've already seen from them actually playing the games. So is that guy a, like a half-and-half half clone? He's like half A.J. Green and half Odell Beckham Jr.? A little bit. Dorian Green Beckham. It's it's, pretty, it's a name that everyone's going to be saying for a while it's, in fantasy. It's pretty crazy, yeah. I'll drink for that. All right, there you go. So uh, to remind everybody, we have a drinking game tonight. So if we do mention fantasy football, since one of our other podcasts is a fantasy football podcast, uh, we don't want to be talking about that specifically here. I just said it twice, so why don't you... <laughs> Uh, tell, us, tell us what our next topic is. Here. Okay, uh, so there's a lot of talk about teams moving this year. Uh, Oakland and San Diego, the latest rumor is that they're going to move to L.A. Um, you know, There's also rumors about St. Louis wanting to move. Nobody's moving next year, but it's very possible with several of these teams just on one-year contracts and their stadiums that somebody could be moving in 2016. When you say next year, you mean this year, right? 2015 season. Yeah, this upcoming season, everyone's going to stay put. From what I've heard, there will be a team in LA in 2016. It certainly seems like that. Yep. Um, so it could be Oakland, it could be San Diego, it could be the Rams, it could be two teams. Um, I believe that this site uh, is pretty much already they're already planning on building a stadium there. Uh, there's a site in Carson City, which is a little bit south of LA, um, you know, but in the same conglomerated gigantic area. Uh, where, you know, the rumor right now is that, I don't know if it's a rumor, it's probably, Oakland and San Diego are planning uh, this as sort of a contingency plan, right? So they're planning on using private funding to build their stadium. Uh, But here's the, you know, here's the thing. They're sort of holding their towns hostage now. You know, so if the towns want to keep the teams in order to have the good publicity uh, with keeping the team or... You know, if they think that the town is that it's actually worth it to spend a lot of money uh, to help stimulate the economy, which you know studies have shown that maybe that's not actually true, uh, they're going to be looking for public funding to build stadiums in their hometowns. So in St. Louis, in uh, San Diego, and Oakland, if the towns want to cough up the money and build a stadium there, then they're going to stay. But if they don't want to do it, then they're going to move to L.A. and they're not going to be asking for for public money there. Uh, so I thought that was kind of an interesting uh, difference. You know, it seems like two teams are going to wind up splitting the stadium. So that helps a lot. You know, as we saw the new Meadowlands built with the Jets and the Giants both, you know, using the stadium, it's easier for the teams. It's cheaper. It's got to be way cheaper to do that. So they have partnered to build a 68,000-seat stadium next to the 405 in, yes. in Carson. Yep, and uh, so that's going to happen, and we'll see which team moves or if they both do, but probably not going to, um, you know, have both those teams in San Diego and Oakland in 2016. So right. that's it's going to be fun, uh, and, and we thought perhaps there there would be a team moving somewhere in the next couple of years. Yeah, and LA has been in the works for years, so it's it's interesting that this is happening, um, and, and we actually have a famous bet. Relating to that, dating all the way back to, I believe, our very first podcast, right? 
I'm not sure. It, well, what, what it is, was like our first bet that we ever made. What does the bet entail? Okay, so we made a bet on air that um, you thought that the St. Louis Rams would move to London. And I gave you five years on it. So we made this bet at the beginning of 2013. Um, so this wasn't, it wouldn't have been our first show. Anyways, um, you have until the start of the 2018 season for the St. Louis Rams to become the London Rams. All right, Rams. If that's the case, then uh, I lose the bet and I have to pay for us to go to London to see a Rams game. Terrific. And that should be fun. Now, if that doesn't happen, you have to pay for us to go to St. Louis. Now, we didn't talk about what happens if the Rams move somewhere else. Um, you know, maybe we'll split the difference and just go to a game wherever the hell they land, you know. Or they might just stay in St. Louis. Right. Well, then that would be easy enough. That'd be easy to figure it out. Okay. Well, we'll see. Uh, so it's kind of interesting the way that uh, teams wind up funding their stadiums, I think. Uh, a lot of stadiums, like the new Dallas Stadium, are funded with public money because, uh, you know, the teams don't want to... The teams could probably afford to build these stadiums, but they don't need to. You know, if you can get someone else to pay for what you need, why wouldn't you, I suppose, is what they're looking at. Uh, So what I I don't think L.A. is willing to do it, but the market there is so great and there's no teams there that they're going to be they're going to easily be able to sell what they call PSLs, private seat licenses, in order to fund the stadium. Now, what's a PSL? PSL is a license on the seat. And that license doesn't give you tickets. It gives you the right to buy tickets. So some of these places, you know, I've heard people talk about the PSLs for the Bears of being upwards of $10,000. I'm pretty sure that they would be more at a brand new stadium, maybe $20,000 each. You know, you have to pay that much money in order to be allowed to buy the tickets for that seat, um, you know, during the regular season in order to have season tickets. Uh, so, you know, that's how in demand NFL tickets are. We were talking the other day during the uh, television podcast about how, you know, only 1% of NFL viewers actually go to the games. Uh, most of the people watch it on TV. And it just goes to show, you know, you think that the $100 tickets are expensive. You'd have to buy, you have to spend 10 grand just to get in that club of people who spend $100 on a ticket every week to go to a game. Yeah, I mean, of course, and, and the audience that watches NFL games is so vast it's not like they could all go to games anyway but granted um, it is definitely becoming a um, higher than middle class kind of person that is able to afford the tickets to at least fairly good seats and I think the the reason that most people don't go to the games which is another thing you know another topic you can talk about is just the fact that the game is so good on the television because of the way that they film it. If you go back and, and watch games from like the 50s and 60s, uh, before they started filming the games differently, it's a totally different experience. It's not even similar. Oh, I know. It was like a fixed one fixed camera just going back and forth. Yeah, and so now you kind of feel like you're in the game and the cameras are great and they put a lot of technology into it. And so, of course, that's it's not just this sport and it's not just uh, the past couple of years, but it seems now that every year or so they introduce something brand new and it ends up being something really cool that adds to the experience. When you're at the game, uh, you can see some of those camera angles on the big screen, but when you're actually watching the action on the field, it does seem like you're pretty far away. You know, it's it seems like you're very distant from the action. Right. Um, unless you are paying, you know, that $5,000 for, for a ticket and some 
fantastic spot. Of course, I've never had that luxury. I would love to go to a game and get really good seats, but I would probably have to save up for that for quite a while. Yeah, well, you know, when you just buy, you know, it's the season tickets that get kind of crazy, I suppose, when you have to, when they're spending, uh, what, $10,000 just to be allowed to buy the seats. Well, like if you go to a concert and it's a big uh, big name at a concert, it might cost uh, 50 or even $100. But if you're buying tickets for decent seats at a, an NFL sports team, especially one of uh, you know the ones that are more in demand, like a Packers game or a, a Steelers game or a Bears game or a Cowboys game, um, one of the bigger teams. So now you're talking about spending $300 on a ticket to have decent seats. And that's just for one game, and that's not even including, you know, parking or or uh, beer or food or whatever else you're doing during the game. So that's yeah. that's an investment, man. I mean, that that is a lot of money to spend just to go to one game and not maybe not have as good of experiences as you would um, watching it in front of your TV. Yeah, I mean, it's gotten so good to just watch in front of your TV that why even bother going to the games? Who cares where they play, right? There was an Onion article that resurfaced. It was 10 years old. That was, um, and I'll link it in our uh, article so you guys can go read it. But it was basically all 32 teams going to move to L.A. Yeah. And they claimed that it would save travel time by almost 25%. <laughs> um, but, you know, I guess, you know, for that 1% of fans that really likes going to the game, you need that there because a lot of teams do get that good home field advantage. Well, I, I don't want to keep, you know... Uh... Putting, can't take the Steelers out of Pittsburgh. I don't want to keep putting down that either, and I don't think that's what I'm doing, but I want to make sure that that's not how I'm being portrayed because if I had the money to go to all of the games in a season, I would be a season ticket holder. And I think a lot of people <laughs> feel the exact same way. It's just you have to you have to be that uh, affluent. You have to have that financial stability it's, it's, in I order think, to do something like that. I think what we're illustrating, we're not... I, I realize that using the 99 and 1% it sounds like a comparison to you know other things, but it's it's pretty literal in terms of uh, how many people and watch and view the games. I think what we're illustrating is that the NFL really is at such a high level in both sides. Going to a game, the experience is worth so much money to people who see it, and viewing it on television is so relevant for so many people. You know, it's just it's both ends of the NFL lifting up everything else in the middle. Yeah, and part of the reason why people want to watch it on TV so much, I think, is because then you can watch other things, too. You can watch highlights uh, of other games, or if you're watching a Red Zone experience, for example, which I do understand a lot of people hate it, a lot of people love it. It's very uh, polarizing um, as a channel. But Well, it's really key if you play a certain game on a weekly basis <laughs> during the football season. Yeah, I mean, it's helpful to keep track of that kind of stuff. And But what I'm saying is, now in the stadiums, they're trying to do that sort of thing as well. So they're they're doing that, like, in the stadiums, on the screen. They're showing the games more. They're having a ticker where they have, like, uh, points scored and things like that yeah. on the other games. In fact, you can even go, uh, you know, out to the concessions area and even go to certain... Some stadiums have, like, certain areas where they're playing all the games, you know? There's uh, stadiums, apparently, that will... Put uh, fantasy stats up at halftime. I'll drink for that. Drink for that, yes. But it's everywhere now. It really is. Yep. And so since it's so pervasive throughout the NFL, now they're they're just using it to their advantage and leveraging it to get as much money and as many eyes on all of this as they can. So that's cool. I mean, I don't I don't think the NFL shouldn't do that. I think whenever the NFL has an opportunity 
to uh, reach more people and make more money, of course they're going to do that. Yep. So we're going to see teams in L.A. soon. 2016. And, yeah. I, I really think it'd be weird if it was both teams in the same stadium. Uh, the articles I was reading sort of implied that it's either going to be two or none. You know, it's possible the Rams move and wind up building a stadium on that land that their owner bought a year or two ago. Um, but I think if either the Rams or the Chargers, or I'm sorry, the Raiders or the Chargers end up moving, it's going to be both of them. They're going to do this plan to split the stadium. It sounds so reasonable. They don't, you know, they just need approval to build the stadium. They don't need to uh, peck and claw and fight their way into public money. Yeah. You know what's funny is if a team gets public money from a city, they should, you know, they, they should have to give some of it back if they have bad years. <laughs> like if you build a stadium for a team and then they're terrible for a while and nobody wants to go watch them, you should get a refund, at least a partial refund. Maybe, but... The NFL team's still making a ton of money. I feel like they're probably bringing in more money than they than they could possibly be losing for that for that city. Which which side of that bargain do you mean? Uh, well, all sides, right? It's the NFL. Are, are you are you inferring that you know something like Jacksonville or St. Louis or Oakland um, is losing money for the uh, the city that it's in? The cities, the cities themselves that wind up giving money to build stadiums, and this is um, a this is based on a big uh, report I had read on five thirty eight Nate Silver's blog, mostly regarding um, soccer stadiums, but they. It, they also pulled all the data for NFL stadiums to relate it, uh, to compare it, that is. Uh, and it's almost always a lose, losing situation for the city. You know, it's always great for the teams, um, but it's, always, it's almost always bad for the cities. Uh, so, um, we can move on then. Uh, so, we, some of the, you know, the big issue in terms of player health like over the last three years, I'd say, are concussions. So, you know, it's the one thing that comes up every time. People tend to, like, talk about ACLs and other stuff like that, um, and they get torn up, but those treatments are getting a lot better. We're really only starting to understand concussions, um, and it's got to be, you know, the most vulnerable uh part of the game at the moment. And, and it's interesting because this is something that has to have been happening forever. Uh, but it's only something that they're starting to realize and really acknowledge in the last, what, five years maybe? Uh, before that, it was guys getting their bell rung. And every once in a while, you did have somebody with a concussion. But, you know, it, it's, it's been a much bigger topic lately. Uh, so it's gotten huge press. Uh, PBS has... Frontline, a new show, and they had last year at the beginning of the football season, they aired it like in the middle of September, uh, was a really in-depth investigation into concussions. It was called League of Denial. And it was basically talking about how uh, the league has uh, known about the degenerative effects of concussions, known about CTE, uh, which is sort of the disease that you get on your brain when you've had too many concussions, uh, and known about its effects for longer than they have been acknowledging it. Um, there are doctors that they interview that were uh, team doctors that sort of got fired because they talked too much about it. Um, and they examine cases like Junior Seau and other guys who have actually uh, killed themselves, but killed themselves in a way that preserves their brain and left notes indicating 
there was something wrong with me. Take my brain and study it and figure out what's going on here. Exciting. In a way, uh, excitingly terrifying. Well, they, they make the decision to go and do that and make millions right. and millions of dollars because they are putting themselves at risk. Uh, more so than a lot of other sports because the whole concept of football is two people crashing into each other. It really is. And um, one of the guys that they, one of the football players at the interview, um, and I'm paraphrasing this quote, but he says basically, I knew when I signed up for football that my knees would go, that I wouldn't be able to walk, that I, my back would always hurt, that I would be in pain for most of my life after football. But I never knew that my brain would have the same sort of problems. Um, and that's, that's sort of the root of the problem there, is that everyone thinks that their body is going to break down. And everyone's bodies break down eventually, uh, but they don't realize how quickly their minds go. And it doesn't happen to everybody because there's all kinds of perfectly lucid, perfectly fine uh, ex-NFL players out there. You know, they're in media everywhere. Some of them are freaking politicians. The mayor of the one town over uh, is an old bear player. You know, they're everywhere. That is uh, old football players. Mm -hmm. Um, But to probably just as many of these guys, you know, they're having all kinds of health problems relating to concussions and stuff like that. Um, So, you know, it's... It's something that's actually gone down over the last three years. Now, my question is, do you think it's going down because of the new rules where there's stiffer penalties on helmet-to-helmet hits? Uh, there's more rules about you can't lead with your head. Uh, you know, you're going to get a fine for more things. You're going to get more penalties. Um, do you think that that is helping reduce it? Do you think that's the only thing that's helping reduce it? Or do you think that players have sort of gotten wise to, I don't want to have to sit out. Uh, the concussion protocol has become too long. I'm going to not tell anybody about it. Uh, what do I think? I think all those things are factors, um, obviously. You know, <clears throat> it may be that someone doesn't want to leave the game, so they're not going to be telling anybody that they got hurt. But if someone really is concussed and, you know, at the point of, like, losing consciousness, etc., it's difficult for the people not to see that on the field right and they actually have increased the number of spotters and stuff like that which is surprising if you're um it's surprising to immediately uh acknowledge a problem come up with a way to uh spot that problem much quicker from many more angles and to have simultaneously that problem be reduced immediately uh, sure. It's almost too perfect, right? Well, I, a lot of it has to do with not allowing people to sort of aim for the head, like you were mentioning. Uh, the way that people are tackling has fundamentally changed. Um, and from a lot of levels, you know, even in, in really young players playing football, they're definitely changing it on that level too. So when they grow up, it'll be a little bit different. But right now, since they just made a lot of these changes, you think, you know, Maybe people aren't reporting things. Maybe people are still playing the same way because all these players used to play a certain way and now are being forced to change. Some of them don't like the change and they're still doing what they shouldn't be. Um, but I, I just think it's kind of a part of the game. I mean, you're not, you're not going to have the ability to eliminate that entirely. Um, we have new advances in technology oh, and helmets, uh, yeah. all sorts of things like that. But it's like soccer. I mean, you're not going to avoid being hit with the ball. In fact, you you want to hit the ball with your head. 
So sure, defenders <laughs> that'll knock it down. So I mean, pe- people in soccer get concussions all the time, pe- yeah, because of the nature of the game. And it's the same way in football; it's not going to stop. But yeah. it is nice that it's going down. Um, but I assume then that you think that um, that some of that is artificial. I suspect at least some of it is. Um, you know, and one of the other problems is uh, one of the other things they discuss on uh, that documentary is the Frontline Report, I should say. Is the the concept of sub concussive hits? That's the you know it's like banging your head against the wall. You do it once, you're not going to get a concussion. But if you keep doing it, eventually you're going to do some damage. It's like getting paper cut to death, right? Um, so what can happen to these guys? And they actually study this in like some uh, younger football players, like high school football players, uh, guys who they would suspect had upwards of 20 or 25 sub-concussive hits in a single day. Just like every play, they're getting their head hit just a little bit. Right, sure. Um, You know, it's almost nothing that would look out of the ordinary in a game of football, which is already incredibly violent. And I don't think that that's going to change. The violence of football, the, you know, football being a tough sport and having to tough out injuries and stuff like that. No, that's always going to be there. I. That's that. That's half of what football is, right? Mm-hmm. Um. So, you know, I think it's a combination, like you said. Players know more about the topic now, which is really all I can ask for. I'm not going to ask people to stop playing because of this. I just want everybody to know what they're getting into. Um, and it's not like I can go out and tell everyone who plays football exactly what it is. I'm not a doctor. Um, well, these are life decisions. I, I you know, no, yeah. one, no one should have the ability to tell someone that they can't do something, even if it's something that puts them directly in danger. That's like uh, banning cliff jumping or telling people they can't climb mountains. Right. You know, you can do whatever you want to do. And and in this case, this this crazy aggressive violent game that's growing before us into uh, what is now the the biggest, most popular thing uh, as far as an organized sport in the United States uh, and starting to grow outside of the U.S. too um, is based on that violence. Yeah. So it's going to be there. Um, but I, I, I used to have more of a problem with trying to control it. Now I'm sort of okay with them inching in some of these other rules. Um, what I don't like about that is it kind of makes the game less physical, more of a quarterbacky throwing game because you can't do certain things to the quarterback anymore. Um, right. You kind of can't do a lot them. of things to the quarterback anymore. So now you've got these guys that are protected, and if you do something bad to them, then you are penalized and your team is penalized, and it's almost making it uh, a higher-scoring um, affair because of that. I think that... But it, um, might, be, it might be a good thing. They're trying to do that on purpose. You know, they want to make it a higher scoring game anyways. But uh, to your worry, it's almost going to be fixed by accident, I think. Because, you know, there's all these rules to help quarterbacks. But the problem is that quarterbacks uh, have gotten very thin lately. Like, in terms of how deep the actual league is, when you look at the Carson Palmer line, even people just a little bit above the car. Or not Carson Palmer, Andy Dalton. The Andy Sorry. Dalton line. Right. I have the wrong Bengal that was the definition of mediocrity. Um, you know, even a little bit above the Andy Dalton line where you've got, like, your Jay Cutler, it's still, like, not blowing anyone's socks off. Uh, quarterbacks aren't as good as they used to be. So I think that you'll see more teams having to run the ball um, or at least become more creative because there aren't as many good quarterbacks out there. 
well, I don't know if I believe in that. <laughs> I mean, perhaps the line has changed just because there are so many people that are above average. Um, and, and you have people playing right now that are among the best quarterbacks ever. There's played. a lot of great quarterbacks, but the drop-off is like jumping off of a cliff. It's the same in any position, right? I suppose. I mean, you look at wide receivers, they're a lot more deep. Yeah, but you've got the same, like, three guys at the top of the list that are better than everybody else, you know. Uh, but but you're right, I guess, because the quarterbacks all have to throw to these certain uh, players. But the quarterbacks themselves, they have to be the focal point of everything. Right. So I guess there, there are only going to be a few superstars. I just don't know, you know, when you said that they're not as good as they used to be. I'm, I'm not really sure what that means. I, I shouldn't say that. There's just, I guess the one, the, the quarterbacks coming up aren't as good as they used to be. The, the, the prospects used to be a lot better. You know, I'm sure that some of these guys are going to develop into fine quarterbacks. But back in the day, you knew that Drew Brees was going to be good. You knew that Peyton Manning was going to be good. There was plenty of guys that you knew were going to succeed. Yeah, well, and I, they I, have. I still don't feel like that's... And I don't want to get too far into this subject, but, you know, guys like Andrew Luck, he's obviously going to be the cornerstone of the Colts for, for 15 years. He's going to be one of the greats. Yep. Uh, uh, like a guy like Cam Newton is a fantastic player who's going to be around for a long time for the Panthers. Um, now you do have a lot more flops because of this uh, uh, insertion of, like, running quarterbacks. So maybe that's what you're talking about, this kind of fad of, yes. like, the read yes. option. Um, and now people like Robert Griffin III, who I'm speaking about, in particular, uh, now he wants to be, become a pocket quarterback because he realizes that that's, that's, that's how, how you do be it. A quarter, yeah, that's how you're a quarterback in the NFL. I mean, you could be a Michael Vick and be surprisingly good for a couple of years, but you're never going to be that way forever. You can't be Peyton Manning and be uh, you know, 40 years old playing football in the NFL if you're getting tackled every single play. It's just not going to happen. Peyton Manning's only allowed to get tackled like five times a year. Right. <laughs> um, and, and that said, I think, I think he's... Uh, pushing it if he comes back this year but it is what it is all right so moving on uh this past year uh, was sort of the off season of the off-field issues all of the domestic issues and the off-field crap so there was a long line of them right there was ray rice there was judge gordon there was adrian peterson um there was probably 10 more that i'm forgetting yeah a bunch more um for various kinds of issues, but generally the ones that come out the most are like the domestic violence or things within a family or things that someone did to, to someone else directly. So like a person-on-person crime. Or someone getting arrested when it becomes a public record. You're talking about Josh Gordon? Exactly. <laughs> Who just keeps getting arrested for things over and over again. Yeah, yeah. or like Richard Mendenhall and Le'Veon Bell. Richard Mendenhall. Richard Mendenhall. My bad. Uh, LeGarrette Blunt. <laughs> okay. How can I forget LeGarrette Blunt got arrested for smoking weed? Yeah, Richard Mendenhall actually is off like exploring and writing in a blog. Well, I'm good for him. <laughs> That's cool. A lot of running backs like to be creative, apparently. Yeah. Him I'm... and Arian Foster should well, you do have like to a talk be, show. You have to be creative, right? Because you have to kind of come up with your plan on the fly based on the defense. That's true. So, I mean... The, you have to be able to improvise. The ones that are good are good imp- imp- improvisers, yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right about that. And, and so now like one of the things that you, uh, you're bringing up here is that they're all public figures, right? Right. So it's a public story. And then we get to see 
some of these things that you wouldn't see in everyday life. Like if your if your friend Mike, who is your coworker, uh, like had some kind of domestic violence case against him, you may never even know that. Right. I mean, he may take a day or two off yeah. and have to deal with court or whatever. But, but, but if he doesn't go to jail or anything, like, unless you see him on Saturday morning picking up trash on the side of the road, you're not going to know what happened. But I want I want everyone listening to know that, that this friend Mike is not a real person. It's not like an actual Mike that I know. Right. The, anybody who we know <laughs> that's named Mike, we know that you're not a wife beater. Well, I don't it's know. Okay. I know a lot of Mike. Except for Mike, you know who I'm talking about. Okay. anyway um so so we get to see like these videos in the case of ray rice or or this evidence and get to follow the the trial with adrian peterson and the sort of child abuse uh uh things that he was brought up on um and all of these things may not be that large of issues if they just happened in real life they wouldn't be things necessarily... They wouldn't be reported on by hundreds of people. They wouldn't be sure. on the news. They wouldn't be discussed this much. And maybe even they wouldn't impact the person's life directly outside of that circumstance that he was in. Right. Or, or how it uh, like interacted with the law enforcement. Like Ray Rice and Adrian Peterson, their lives changed when that, when that shit happened. Yeah, and uh, and so now uh, something that's happening right now, for example, is I, I uh, pay attention to Adam Schefter a lot, who's an ESPN insider. Uh, definitely think that if you like the NFL, that you should tune into this guy on Twitter and watch his stuff on TV and the radio because he is one of those guys that talks to everyone and knows exactly what's going on everywhere. But the reason he's able to do that is because he doesn't uh, he doesn't tell the media. He doesn't actually tell us the public either uh when this stuff is going on until the players or the owners or whoever he's talking to tells them it's okay to do that yeah so he is always the first line um i i I like him on news i don't know that like his opinions uh necessarily are going to carry the same weight as his breaking news um but for like breaking nfl news there's nobody who's going to do it quicker or better so, for example, right now, uh, Des Bryant apparently has this video that everyone, uh, a lot of people have seen in the in the industry, and that's the Cowboys have seen it, and uh, I don't know if guys like Schefter have actually seen it or not yet, but um, the point is, there's something going on there, it's been going on since September, the Cowboys know about it, Bryant knows about it, the insiders know about it, but it's not being released, and I think it may have already come out if all of this stuff didn't happen this past year. You know what I mean? Because there was like an overload. They didn't want to... Now everybody's all scared. I mean, if this is uh, an actual like crime or violent act that appears on video with Des Bryant in it, and that becomes public information, then we have to wonder if the same sort of thing that happened to Rice and Peterson uh, and Gordon happens to Bryant. Will he have uh, some kind of imposed fine? Will the Cowboys want to dump him from their team? Yeah. Will he maybe was be there suspended a cover from up the in NFL? This? Uh, and so we don't know yet, but that's going to be one of the stories to sort of follow um, in the NFL in the coming weeks and months. And in fact, you may not have even heard of this yet because it's kind of on the hush-hush down low still. Right. So it's going to come you were up. The first per- you were the first time I had heard that. Well, it's not on Roto World. It's not on you know like all these major sites. Yeah. But it's starting to creep up there. So I am sure that as soon as it gets into the public eye, there'll be demand to know what's going on and something will have to be done. Uh, or at the very least, we're going to hear what actually happened what what it is um right. what would be really interesting to me is if the only people that have seen this video are like des bryant and the cowboys staff 
<laughs> if they just don't ever show us because they're like, we just want to put this under the table, you know? Yeah, I mean, that would definitely be another Ray Rice situation. So we'll see. And I don't want to point any fingers or, or uh, name any crimes because I don't know that he actually did anything. I just know the rumors that are swirling around right now. Right. The, there, there's something out there that's bad. Maybe it's tape of him smacking his mama. But whatever it is, one of it, his one of his relatives busted out their phone. If it becomes public and, and it's something like that, then that would be that would be terrible. Regardless of how it would be portrayed in Des Bryant's life or his family's life, that's one of those things that you can't take back. Right. And then people will suddenly think less of you. And uh, I mean, he's had issues before, but nothing on video. And video is the most incriminating thing that there is because it's impossible to say that it wasn't you that did it because you're on video. And I mean. Uh, I, I'm sure that uh, that Ray Rice, for example, not excusing anything that he did in that elevator or or his wife or anything else, but um, I'm sure that he would rather have had a couple less drinks and realized that there was a, a video camera in the elevator. Right. I'm sure a lot of people would have taken a lot of things back by having fewer drinks. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> Maybe Tank Johnson and uh, Cedric Benson out on his boat. There you go. So, the the reason why I wanted to bring this up is because I want to know if this is actually a problem for the NFL. Is it a problem? Is it maybe more exposure? Okay, this started becoming a problem. I shouldn't say it started. It's probably always been an issue. It's become more widely reported on over the last eight years or so. It's just uh, like the news. I mean, this stuff has always happened, right. but it just wasn't in the news. right. And now you watch you watch the news broadcast at your home. You watch Channel Five News, and you see all these terrible things that are happening throughout your city. But it's not like that is something that didn't happen previously, right? That You're, sort of thing's always been going. It on. just come to light. So unless this becomes like even more pervasive uh, or or high percentage uh, than like the real world, then I don't see how it's anything but just more. Exposure, And I've seen that, yeah, it's not actually any higher than the real world. Well, this is not going to put me off of watching the NFL, and I don't think it's going to put most people off of watching the NFL. I may dislike some of the players, but it's not like they're all bad. Well, some guy might go out and murder someone. I don't think that's that's alleged, but not actually... Uh... I'm pretty sure Aaron Hernandez killed someone. <laughs> okay, and then you've got you've got other guys too, and I don't want to name names so they don't come to my house, uh, you know, but, uh, but I'm looking at you, Baltimore Ravens player. <laughs> uh, but the former point, Baltimore Ravens player. But the point is, even if they're out there murdering people, you know that's a separate issue. It's not about the NFL. It's not about uh, the violence of the sport. It's that's true. It's about the fact that some of those people are just you know sociopaths. Like uh, like a number of people in in reality are sociopaths or or un- unable to follow the rules and follow directions. And and some people are just bad people. So obviously you're going to get some portion of those people in anything in this case it's organized sports yeah and really what's going to happen is during the off season these stories are always going to become huge and become widespread because they're the nfl has nothing else going on at the time so unless it's interrupting a more important event like they'll do their best to spin it away from them but they're not going to necessarily discourage all these places from reporting on this stuff all the time because you know like you said any news is good news so as long as it's seen as being punished correctly, right? Right, and that's an important you know thing that they've I think screwed up a lot this year. 
so in the past year, you saw Ray Rice get suspended twice. You saw Josh Gordon get suspended for a whole year and then appeal the suspension in the middle of the suspension, which is pretty much never unheard of, and have it reduced and then go back and play and then get suspended again when the season was over. Um, it's because they weren't sure what they should do. Right. Uh, so back in 2007, when Roger Goodell became commissioner, he instituted the NFL personal conduct policy. And that is basically what they had been running off of until uh, he issued a new statement, which was um, sort of a letter to teams regarding their domestic violence policy. Uh, and in it, they basically lay out you know, what they're going to punish people for. Uh, so a couple of the quotes from it. You know, there a, a first offense in a, a violation. A first offense is going to be a six-week suspension without pay, and this is almost entirely in response to the fact that everyone thought that Ray Rice's two weeks was not enough. You know, he was only suspended two weeks uh, after the initial investigation into uh, the incident with him, his wife, uh, then fiance, in the elevator, and you know. Once everyone saw the video and they said, two games, are you kidding me? That's all this guy gets? Uh, then they you know, immediately had to write a whole new policy based on the knee-jerk reaction that Roger Goodell had. Um, so, you know, there's, I don't know, there's a bunch of language in here that you don't necessarily need to read out loud, but it's... Uh, you know, it applies to everyone in the NFL. It applies, it's supposed to apply to owners, and an owner got busted for drugs after this was taken out and uh, had to be suspended for six games or whatever it was. Um, so, you know, it seems like they may have gotten a handle on this with the new policy. Uh, I'm not necessarily sold on it, but then again, I'm not a member of the NFL. I'm not a part of the NFL. I'm not subject to it. So it doesn't necessarily matter to me. Uh, but do you think, Dave, that there's a problem with the punishment process or that however they want to decide to do it is really okay? This is a private organization. They can do whatever they want to do. And it doesn't bother me at all. Um, I mean, you you say that like something should be a harsh penalty or something should not be a harsh <coughs> penalty. Uh, that's all very arbitrary. And someone who decides what the penalty is, all that I'm care caring about is that these policies are listed somewhere and they follow the letter of their law. Um, and that's all I care about. So, yeah, they screwed up this year. Things were different. Uh, they went back and forth. They, they weren't consistent in their actions. So as long as, to me, they have these things uh, spelled out and they are consistent in their actions based on uh, what their rules are, then I don't give a shit. Okay, I, I think they're definitely consistent uh, to the public. I remember uh, reading all kinds of stories about, you know, uh, just all kinds of stuff that gets covered up or sort of covered up or swept under the rug or just the nonchalant attitude that police officers have when they arrive at, you know, guys' houses who are uh, getting arrested and stuff. They're like, oh, look who's here. Cool. Well, there's celebrities and celebrities. Uh, you and know, that's going to happen with any celebrity. Probably. Celebrities that are well known, they, they get off for things that regular people wouldn't. And that's just something that happens in life. It's always going to be that way. That's why everybody wants to be famous. Uh, I mean, people that are famous. want to get away with shit. People that are famous have so many more things to deal with, though. You know, and being in the public eye and all that's terrible. And uh, all these people constantly. It's like. Well, it's just like winning the lottery. Nobody thinks of the bad aspects when they want to do it. 
Yeah. So so there are just as much as many bad things as there are good things about being um, a public personality. And in fact, a lot of celebrities, like maybe actors and actresses I'm talking about at the moment, uh, they can't really go anywhere. NFL players may be a little bit better in that regard because if they're going somewhere and they're not like uh, one of the, the faces that everybody knows, they can probably still kind of get away with just being a regular person. Yeah, unless but, they're like hanging out in downtown Pittsburgh and they're a Steeler and they have a Pittsburgh Steelers sh- shirt Then everyone on. knows who they are, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but like actors and actresses where their, their face is more predominant or people that are really... Um, that are really successful in the NFL, like Peyton Manning. You right. can't go anywhere. Guys on commercials are going to get recognized. But, like, there was a video that went around. You're going to be surrounded by a group of people uh, wherever With you go. Vince Wilfork after the Super Bowl was sure. on vacation. He was on a cruise or something. Right. He walks up to a guy who's wearing a Vince Wilfork jersey. And they're like, oh, yeah, go Patriots. They're like, do you know who you're talking to? It's the guy who's on your jersey. Yeah. And they didn't recognize him. Well, uh, you wouldn't. There's a lot of people that I wouldn't know the, the faces of, even on Pittsburgh, because uh, I don't I don't see their if regular faces all the time. If you saw Brett Kiesel walking down the street, you'd be like, "Oh shit!" Well, okay, so we're talking about the real well-known guys, of course, but you know, Vince Wilfork is the most well-known defensive player on that team. It goes Belichick, Brady, Wilfork on that team. Okay, I, I get that. I mean, so maybe he's more well known than, than some other people. But if you're just a guy who probably doesn't do commercials, if yeah, if you're not in the public eye, if if you're just if your face is only seen in that little bit where you pop up and say where you went to college, <laughs> like people probably aren't going to know who you are if they see you. Now, I mean, the point is we were talking about this uh, NFL punishment process, and. Uh, I, I just I don't think that anyone should be treated any way else than everybody else is, right? So uh, if you're in a job and in, in your specific career, there are rules about things that you can and can't do. If, for example, uh, there are some workplaces where, let's say, you get a DUI or something, and, mm-hmm. uh, and they're harsh on that. They don't allow those kind of penalties uh, or those kinds of problems. But well, there are also workplaces that would work with you, even if you had like a, um, a disease, psychological, or or you were an alcoholic, or you had a drug problem. Well, some of those things it's illegal to discriminate against. Uh, okay, it's uh, not illegal to discriminate against someone who's a felon, um, but you can't discriminate against someone who's an alcoholic if they do their job. But that's the thing; it's it's doing the job, right? Right. So, and this is a little, getting a little farther away from our topic, but the point is, if if say you are a guy who's uh, having struggling with drugs or something, right, and you're working at a place that uh, wants to help you because that's that's part of what they do as a corporation. Mm-hmm. Well, then even if you told your boss, etc., and and they tried to help you with things, if you were just a bad employee, they would just get rid of you. Right, that was sort of the caveat, is that if you have all these problems, if you are a good employee, still despite all that, then they are not, you know, they're not allowed to just up and fire you because of your, because of certain problems anyways. And so if if this happened, like for example, if the Ray Rice thing happened somewhere else that wasn't caught on video and... Um, and let's say that, that some people in the organization, uh, the Baltimore Ravens organization, kind of knew what was going on and heard rumors of like domestic violence and stuff. I'm sure they would work with Rice because it seems like Rice seems like a good guy. But because this happened, it's impossible to turn a blind eye to right. the situation. Right. Um, although, I, I mean, I don't really know that they should have just like cut him either. I mean, it's... it's 
It was more it's to save face for the organization. Yes, and that you know, it's always kind of sad when they won't stand by somebody like that necessarily. Well, it's funny because it's like there are different levels of things that you could do, you know, that are wrong. Yeah, and some of them people will work with you and be like, "Oh, this is a great story for us. We'll take him under our wing. We'll make him better, uh-huh. or he'll go to rehab or whatever." But you know, there's some things like this domestic violence stuff, you know, violence against women, where you can't make that better. It's really funny too, funny in a tragic kind of way. But people How, have like killed people in cars with DUI and, yeah. and suddenly gotten off uh, much better than someone who slapped his wife. Uh huh. And that's just it's, it's it's a little it doesn't work out for uh, me. You know, they almost look at. Oh well, you made a mistake when you did that, but oh, he's a he's a monster if he hits a woman. Yeah, and we're not defending any uh, anything. They're least. both equally kind of bad things to do. Well, sure, but but just because some things are more acceptable in society and some things aren't. Sure, hell, there used to be TV shows that lovingly referred to smacking your wife. <laughs> but it, it's, it's almost interesting how at the end of the season, after all of the Adrian Peterson crap and stuff, that. You know, Ray Rice looked like, of all the guys who had gotten in trouble that year, looked like one of the okay guys. He didn't look like such a bad guy. Well, he had good PR. He spun it well, and he came out with everything, and he was he wasn't lying about anything. Yeah, I just think I don't know. Personally, I don't like seeing the victim apologizing for the aggressor, and that's what happened in that case. Yeah, well, you know, it's 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 people, and people are weird, and right. I mean, nobody was holding the gun to her head to do that. Like, you know, she wasn't forced into doing that. Um, okay, so we can move on from the punishment. It's always going to be a hot topic, I think, with the NFL. Because everyone has an opinion. Yes. You know, and but the thing is, if it's in if it's the in the rule books already, then there shouldn't really be an opinion associated with it because they should already have a rule for it. So you are of the opinion that pretty much everyone should... Uh, you know, the, the punishment should be the same for every kind of crime. So, like, somebody gets busted uh, with drugs, then it should be the same, the, like, for all the different people who get busted with drugs. Yeah, uh, why, why would the situation be special? I, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, the there's what, always an exception to the rule, I suppose. If it's like what Goodell did this year, is because it was everything went public in all these situations, so he had to, fe- he had to make the crime more... So that it didn't look like they were letting them off easy. When in general, uh, I think they would have just been suspended for like two days. Or I guess what I'm saying is, is it okay for them to sort of lean heavier on the punishments when it's looking bad from a PR perspective? Well, then it's not following their rules. Right. So, no. Okay. I, I agree with you. I think you need to... Um, you, you need to either... You could change the rules. Right. You need to either look at everything on an individual basis. Maybe maybe you see it and you're like, oh, so the perspective we had was incorrect and we're going right. to change that. Right. But if they're not doing that, if they're just simply saying that in this situation, because otherwise we'll look bad, we're going to give him a steeper punishment, then I think that is wrong. Right. I agree. Uh, so and we all know... Um, where this sort of all stemmed from this year, uh, at least the the whipping boy, the scapegoat for all of this, was the commissioner. Um, so Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL, what does he actually do? Right. So the commissioner is a guy who's chosen by the league owners to run the league office. The league office coordinates the schedule. They run all the referees. Um, they, uh, what you call it, um, you know, they do the contract with the union. They do the television contracts. 
they are the organization that collects all of that money and divvies it out among the 32 teams, which, uh, you know, it is, by the way, divvied out pretty much equally, I believe, throughout all the teams. The television contracts are split by everybody. They do a great job as a business. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> and that's one of the reasons why Roger Goodell is in the position that he's in. He's a lawyer and he's a great businessman. He clearly isn't as good at uh, PR as everyone thought he might be, uh, or as everyone hoped he might be. Yeah, he's not a great public personality. Right, he's kind of dry, but he's exactly what the owners want. He's a guy that's going to stand up there and um, not necessarily... He's not going to say all the right things, but he's not going to say a lot of things that are going to get them in trouble. He's going to be smart enough for that, at least. Um, So, you know, he became commissioner, I think, late in 2006... Uh, and he had been working for the league for like 20 or 25 years. You know, every uh, few months or so, a letter circulates around the internet, and it's a letter from Roger Goodell to the then commissioner, I think Pete Rosell, uh, just saying like, I'm a student at such and such school, and I really want to work in the NFL. I would gladly like go and intern for the NFL. Um, and I believe that he started out, you know, very low level and just, you know, Rose got all the way to the top of the NFL. I think the point is, and you, you can tell me if you agree with me or disagree with me, and yeah, that's interesting information because a lot of people might know not know exactly what the commissioner does. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure you'll touch on that, like his, his other jobs, but uh, basically he he is sort of the, uh, what this whole organization, um, he's like the catalyst of everything. Right. He's not in charge of the NFL. He has to go do everything, though. He has to go speak. He has to go meet. He has yes. to uh, negotiate. He has to do all that Come stuff. Come to think of it, it's very similar to what a commissioner in fantasy football has to put up with. Well, sure. <laughs> I'll drink for that one. On a, on a lesser level, I'm sure. Although, like, for example, we had... The pay a, is much less. Well, you have people drop out. Sometimes people commit crimes. Um, you know, in the sometimes league. you have to run an expansion. Right. I'm going to have to institute a personal conduct policy next year in one of my leagues. Oh, really? Yes. What's that? A personal conduct policy. You know, we we still have to determine it. It'll have something to do with the minimum number of shots you have to take at the draft, stuff like that. Minimum. Minimum. What? How fun would a net a maximum number of shots be? Not very fun. Right, that's what I'm saying. Sometimes whiskey picks, you know, come out of the drafts. Right, right. So you have to take <laughs> at least one shot for every missed pick. Ah, uh, well, I mean, you can't force... Some of these things you, need you, to be, be made rules. You can't force people to drink. That sounds like a bad, <laughs> sounds like a bad situation. It sounds like I'm going to have a little too much liability on my hands. Exactly. It sounds like the kind of thing that Roger Goodell would draw the line at. Yeah. Um, but but what I think uh, you're sort of getting at here, at least, and, and I could be wrong again, because uh, I know that you're not a huge fan of the guy, but I don't think that he intrinsically does anything wrong because uh, everyone sort of decides what's going to happen, and he just has to be the one that, uh, that goes on TV and says it. Well, as is usual, South Park said it best. He's just Roger Goodell bot. Right. <laughs> So, um, so this guy sort of sacrificed uh, himself uh, in order to make tons of money and be involved in the NFL. Right, at, at, at the highest level of the league. So it's great. I'm sure he gets all the opportunities in the world. He has all the money in the world. This but, is like literally a dream come true for this guy. But now, because of what's happened, like half of the, of the United States hates him. Okay, so you're right. I 
you know, went into this being not a Roger Goodell fan. But the more I look at it, you know, as a human being, he's got to love what he does. He's got to really, you know, he doesn't hate his job, even though he has to go up and give some BS press conferences, uh, even though he gets in trouble with the media sometimes, you know, he's got to love what he does. And, you know, it's, I wouldn't mind being the commissioner of the NFL. I think it'd be kind of interesting. Um, so, yeah, he makes $40 million a year. He's doing something right. Uh, certainly the owners think he's doing something right. He's been there through all this. Like, he was really getting hammered. And, you know, here's something that maybe the, you know, Ravens, the Ravens couldn't stand by Ray Rice because there was a really bad video out about him. But the NFL did stand by Roger Goodell. They did... Uh, you know, to all of their black-hearted credit all around, you know, they stuck together and uh, they didn't fire him uh, for all of the controversy over the offseason for all of the bumbling of the punishments and stuff. So, you know, the commissioner is a very important job for them. He makes them an incredible amount of money. He, um, <clears throat> you know, he negotiates the television contracts. Not, like... Personally, he oversees that. He oversees the negotiations for with the league, uh, the player contracts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he he's such an important figure in the league. Uh, they can't, you know, they're going to stick with him for a while. You know, like him or hate him or love him, uh, Roger Goodell is going to be commissioner for probably another twenty years. He's a young guy, uh, unless some incredibly huge scandal comes up uh, that's worse than a scandal that they've already basically shown that he ignored at worst, at best and covered up evidence at worst um, in a scandal earlier this year, last year, uh, you know, unless something can come out that's way worse than that. Because if it happens again, it just, you know, it, it's not that much different than what had happened before, right? Um, so, you know, he's going to be around for a long time. And uh, as long as the NFL is making a lot of money, he's going to be uh, a... A powerful figurehead, if that's at all possible. Sure. He's going to have a lot of power over individual players and a bit of the league's message. Um, but really, at any moment, he could just be removed from power by the owners. Yeah, it's all up to them. Yep. So what do you think about Goodell? Are you uh, sort of indifferent to him is sort of the uh, take I get from you. Yeah, it's all business, man. I... I really couldn't care less. I think he's doing fine, I guess, but but his the whole organization. I like how you use that uh, that saying correctly. What's that? You couldn't care any. You couldn't care less. Oh, thank you. Okay. <laughs> um, but but I I can't hold anything against him because he's kind of the voice of the owners. Uh, he meets with them. They tell him what to do. Um, so right. so yes, I mean there is some sort of shakeup. Uh, there, I'm sure there's a couple things that he could do. He could fight for, I suppose. He could try to uh, get people onto his side because everything, I'm sure, has to be some kind of a majority rules in the in the boardroom when they all talk. Right. I'm sure when the owners vote. Yeah. So it's really like about, it's, about, it's about lobbying things for the best interest of the NFL. Um, so I don't think he's a bad guy. Um, intrinsically, I think all the things that happened this year were unfortunate. I think that the NFL perhaps could have handled it better. Perhaps they could be more transparent. But we don't really want that, right? Uh, I wouldn't mind the NFL being more transparent. 
I don't think that there's anything that the NFL could possibly be hiding that would take them down. Well, I don't care that much about how the NFL runs. I know that that's they... fine, but when organizations are more transparent, then you feel like you can trust them more. You can connect with them more, and more people. And ultimately, they will disappoint you because they're corporations, and they don't actually have your best interest in mind. They're just trying to make money. I don't think that they have my best interest in mind. I just, you know, I just respect transparency more yeah, than I respect Perhaps, uh, but if, even if a company says they're being transparent, they're not giving you all of their information. I mean, it's it's kind of silly to think. That... Look, everyone has their own bullshit detector. <laughs> and, you know, as long as they can satisfy enough people's bullshit detectors, then they're going to continue being very successful. Yeah, that but works for me. It gets you know, if too many people call bullshit on anything, then it's gonna get taken down. Could I have another beer? You can. Uh, how about a delicious Firestone Union Jack IPA? <laughs> sure, sounds great. In Thank a you. can. So, um, so I, I don't know where you envision um, things going, but I, I imagine that even though a lot of people said that Roger Goodell perhaps wasn't going to be around because of all this uproar against him, it seems like they've done a good job of explaining that that's not really the problem. And it seems like he's going to be the commissioner. So he's actually been able to sort of save him, his own job. Yeah, but, Goodell but has a fresh set of batteries.
should should not be challengeable. Right. Uh, because that's the but refs. some of them, they're, they're not challengeable per se. No, you could challenge something like to do with the placement of the ball or something that would affect then something else. Well, if there's a pass interference penalty, you can challenge that the ball was tipped before the penalty occurred. Right, and that and would, that would change that the would penalty. negate the penalty, but you're not actually challenging the penalty. Right, uh, and then owners voted against allowing officials to use replay to review personal fouls. Okay. Um, which again is an interesting. They call. would use it to like look over fights and stuff to see who actually deserves to get penalized, and they don't need to do that during a game. They'll do that on Monday morning and send players fines. <laughs> that, that you know, guys aren't gonna care if they get thrown out of the end of a fourth quarter game. They're gonna remember it if you send them a fine, unless their name is Marshawn Lynch. So some of the things uh, that that also didn't make it were expanding roster sizes for Thursday night games. And allowing teams that have retractable domes to close their roofs or open them during halftime. Um, and so that, those are interesting things, too. Uh, you're not allowed to currently, so you'd have to keep right. it open if it's open. Right. You have to decide and you have to stick with it. That's interesting because I guess people feel like that really does affect how they how they play, how they scheme, which is interesting. Sure, because it changes the wins and then you're uh, having the win. I, I, don't, I don't see why... Well, then you're saying I don't see where it'd be a huge problem if you do it at halftime because each team is still going to get an equal chance at the the sides of the field and stuff like that. I think it's more of just a like could they possibly use it to their benefit somehow? If they could, then they shouldn't allow them to do it. Yes, because if they were getting creamed or if the wind changed, uh, they would want to yeah, they would want to open the dome and just let the rain in and be jerks. Yeah. To screw with the team. Like, you know what? Now it's just going to sleet in here. But that other one that you uh, mentioned, what was that about Thursday night games? Uh, expanding the roster size for Thursday night games. Presumably because of why? Well, I assume... Because guys aren't ready for the game? I assume that it's because perhaps they don't have enough time. So maybe people that were injured from the previous week or something is impacting the size of their roster. And okay. thus the, uh, the allowable players in the game. Okay. So if they made it a little bit bigger, then even those teams that had to play like Monday or Sunday and then again on Thursday, perhaps they could use a couple people from you know deeper in their roster. Yeah, I know that they don't do Monday and Thursday games on teams. I actually pay attention to this like every year now. I don't know why. Well, the scheduling um, is interesting. They do a really good job at giving teams a, a good break. Like Teams will rarely play like a Sunday night game and then a Thursday game. They'll usually have the noon game. Uh, even last year, they were able to give the Bears and the Cowboys two Thursday games in a row. So it was almost like you had uh, you had one short week, but then the next week was a regular week, and then after that you had a little bit extra of a week. Yep. Um, but one of the interesting things that caught my eye when I was reading uh, up on stuff today was that uh, injuries in the Thursday night game are actually lower than injuries on a Sunday or throughout the rest of the games. Hmm. Uh, and then there is one rule that is sort of up for vote for this next year. Okay, and and that is uh, taking stock from uh, college football, um, making it so that if you have a, an offensive pass interference, for example, then it's a 15-yard penalty instead of uh, the other... Uh, the spot foul. Instead of the spot foul. Um, and I am okay with that. So I actually hope that they, that they do follow through with that. Yeah, I mean, those... Plays, you know, they seem kind of silly that you should allow, you should get fifty yards on one penalty, but they won't give touchdowns for penalties anymore. I mean, come on. I don't know. And then, by the by, that same reasoning, they should tone it down. 
Uh, well, I mean, you, you might be right. You might be right. Uh, it, it looks like the expansion of the NFL playoffs, and for those of you who aren't interested in that, it looks like um, there will be an NFL playoff expansion at some point. And they're talking yeah. about adding in two more wildcard teams. One in each league. Which would then push the like number two uh, guys out of the bye. Right. Which I kind of like that idea, i gotta got to tell you, because a lot of times the number two team sort of slides in there uh, all <laughs> circumspectly. You know, it's not, it's not because they necessarily deserve it. It's because perhaps the team below them is just less deserving. I, I don't know. They would, uh, presuming they would be able to beat the seven seed more times than not, then be allowed two home games in the playoffs. So I don't think that teams would mind so much. Well, yeah, but then of course you're you're not out the the first round. Um, right. But but I think it's going to happen because that means there'll be a couple extra games. That's more money for the NFL, um, and it's it's always been the case, uh, at least. Okay, it's mostly been the case that the teams that don't make it, those like the other two wild card teams, are still generally good teams. They're not like terrible ones. Look, a playoff NFL team is a good team. Well, yes, they don't take. Half of the teams in the league, like the NFL, or I'm sorry, the NBA and the NHL. That's what I'm saying. Right. So expanding it slightly might be a good idea, but I'm not sure that it's actually going to happen this year. It it looks like... You mean you don't think it'll be passed this year? It looks like it won't be implemented this year, is what I'm saying. So okay. So 12 to 14 teams, I think we're going to get it, but we're not going to get it until 2016. So we're, we might Probably. be looking forward to a, a team from L.A. and and maybe two teams, and then also... A uh, um, expanded playoff roster. Twenty sixteen will be an exciting year for the NFL. Yeah, there there could be a number of. Uh, Let's just skip this year and go to that year. Well, I don't want to do that. Okay, <laughs> but but yeah, so so we look forward to it as always. You know, yes. the the NFL is is a great, varied, and interesting organization, and provides us with much joy on Sundays and Mondays and Thursdays and sometimes Saturdays. Yeah, <laughs> and Tuesdays, really, if you think about it. And Fridays, in weird cases. And on Wednesday, we rest. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the only day they've never had a game, I guess? Uh, I'm sure there's been a game. I know there's been a Tuesday game when the Bears played Minnesota after the Dome collapsed. I believe that was a Tuesday game. Um, I don't know about a Wednesday. Oh, they played a Wednesday night game in 2012 to start the season. Because the Democratic National Convention, uh, Barack Obama's speech was the next night. Ah, oh, gotcha. Well, they should get their priorities in order. So that's a game on every night of the week. <laughs> well, then I guess the NFL might as well just, just start doing that. Spread them out throughout the week. We'll watch every night. Yeah, there used to be Friday we'll games like at the end of the year. Um, yeah, so looking forward to it. Obviously a lot to discuss. Scotchy Just like scotch. how awesome Scotch is. Down. There you go. Well, is there anything else with the NFL you want to talk about tonight? Uh, countless topics, I'm sure, but, but yeah. we can hold those for another show. Okay, well, Dave, it was a pleasure joining you to talk about the NFL, our probably favorite podcast topic, right? Uh. See, I don't know if I would say that anymore, but uh, it's certainly something that I always have something to say about. Last week was a really fun one. If you guys uh, didn't listen last week, we did an episode about Douglas Adams. That was awesome. If you know who he is, you'll really enjoy it. If you've never heard of him before, you may be interested in reading his books. 
So that's episode two of the Retro Spectacle. And if you'd like to uh, tune in next week uh, or listen to episode four, we're going to actually have one on uh, drones. And that should be really interesting as well. All right, Dave. Uh, Well, everybody, join us next week. We'll be starting around 9 o'clock Tuesday night. Of course, you can always just go back and listen to us on our website, drink5.com. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Drink5 and uh, check us out on Facebook. Um, What's our Facebook page now? It's facebook.com slash drink5fantasyfootball. Okay, well, you're going to have to drink for that one. There you go. (laughs) Oh, I gotcha. Too much carbon monoxide. Good night, everybody.